But, and it, here, here's the thing. The thing with That's, inflation is it's not even a choice of overspending anymore because it's like, well, I need gas to get to work. I need food to live. I need a place to live, so I have to rent a place or buy a place. Poor shit, dude, man. Like, you, but you can't. Totally. As sad as it sounds, until people start being unemployed, inflation is not going to slow down. So, yeah, you tighten the economy, then they spend less. They're not going to give out money this time either because it's just going to keep forcing the inflation. Dude, people are no going to be kidding. rallying for a basic income, but we did a basic income. It was called CERB, and now look where we're at. All right, welcome to the Master Keys podcast. I'm Chandler Halberton. I'm Neil Andrino. And we are the number one real estate investing podcast in Atlanta, Canada. Yeah. So thanks for tuning in. What we do on this show is we just talk about what we're doing in our own investments. Uh, we've got a couple hundred units to our names. Uh, and we also sell real estate as well. Sometimes. Sometimes. Season. Neil just vacations. I just vacation. What do we have? Yeah. Season two episode. Oh my goodness. No sweet clue. The year episode is 2024. 38. I was going to say. The year is 2024. Interest rates are 19.99%. People are buying houses this. on Do their credit cards because it's cheaper this. than getting a mortgage. Man, don't don't throw that out into the universe. We don't <laughs> want that. But we've got lots of crazy stuff today. We're actually going to talk about um, our three... Well, you, you, you break it down. What are we going to talk about today? Yeah, so our main topic is we're going to talk about the top three missed properties, missed Ooh. deals, opportunities that we had that we look back and be like, man, sting. I wish I had bought that because yep. I wouldn't be on this podcast right now. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, and then the top three hits. And the reason that we're on this podcast right now is that there are some properties hits, hits. that made the difference and they, they were able to take us from one level to the next and, and maybe grow or yeah. allowed you to change your life. So Yeah, so we're going to break those down a little bit to try to give some insight and maybe people can learn from what we did wrong and, and the mentality that went into those mistakes, but also the ones the, the thought process that went into these successes. If you find anything interesting, as always, please like, subscribe. It makes a world of difference. Um, you guys have probably noticed YouTube just loves to mess with us. Some weeks we're up, some weeks we're down. I don't know what's going on. So if you can, just throw us a like to keep the train moving along the tracks. We're yeah. doing it big. Yeah, well, and last guys. time we asked for a bunch of likes and you guys gave them to us. I think we were going for 200 that time, which yeah. we got in like a day. Yeah. Um, so I we, think we do... also bribed you with some money. Speaking of which, our winner uh, for the $100 and a free month to our Patreon. You can check out our Patreon if you want to break down behind the scenes. Like I just did one that budgeted, you know, all my renovation costs for doing a thousand square foot unit at about $35,000. I broke it down every single line item that's up on the Patreon. But the winner of the hundred bucks and the Patreon subscription is drum roll here, Jake Titus. And I think I actually know Jake, pure coincidence, but um, congratulations, buddy. I'll find a way to hook you up. Um, so let's dive right into it here, unless you got anything else, Neil. Off no, the you're going to hit me with the news, and I'm going to give you some feedback. Well, I mean, you were, you were joking about these these rates, but let's talk about yeah, let's, um, let's hit the, the science behind it. So um, the U.S. inflation numbers just came out, um, and they're down a little bit. That's good news. You guys might remember, we've been covering this stuff and tracking it on, on episodes. It was 9.1 in June, and there was 8.5 in July. Um, inflation, 8.3 in August. So things are trending in the right direction. 8.3 is still not a good number. Super high. Um, but it is trending in the right direction, sort of. And here's why I say sort of. Over the last month, as you've probably noticed at the pump, uh, energy costs, gas, down 5%. So that number looks really good. That inflation being down looks really good, but that's heavily based on gas prices. Yeah, and right now oil is down, I think, temporarily going into the winter season. I think you'll see a climb again. Um, and so we're seeing that. Plus, yeah. I think in Canada, I feel like they're probably pulling back on some taxes and forcing the price down more than it actually naturally going down to help lower the inflation numbers to kind of show that they're doing a good job more yeah. so than they may be actually doing. The concern with that, obviously, is that that's misleading and we're getting this artificially reduced uh, inflation number. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that they do in the States, and they do it in Canada to, to some degree as well, but they have something called their core inflation, which is when they move food and move energy out of their consumer price index, their bundle <laughs> of goods, which I know sounds silly, but those are also the most volatile things. Yeah. Right? So you take out your most vol volatile things, their core items still went up by 0.4%. Yeah. Um, now, the main one of those other core uh, elements is um, housing expenses, so rent and things like that, which is really interesting because obviously rent is going up so much, and that's driving at least 0.4% of the inflation. And if it, you could argue that if housing hadn't ticked up on the rental side in this past month, that that inflation number could have actually been a little bit lower. Uh, and I think we're going to see that because I found some other crazy stats um, down in the States because their number of listings are dropping, dropping, dropping. Um, they broke it down by area. 
this trend of listings turning into rentals. So in Southern California, 10% of listings are getting turned into rentals. Yeah, I saw some stats that listings were just cutting off. Like people don't want to sell their homes. It's what we've talked about yeah, a bunch totally. of times. Either people gonna, have yeah. rates that are locked in that aren't so bad, or there are people that are looking to sell out to move into a rental or downsize, but they're not willing to take a giant haircut on their home no. and they don't need to sell. They were just hoping to capitalize on the market that are going to yank their houses off. Or you have people that made their move during a good time and are able to float both, especially if one of them's rented. So Yeah, and that's going to continue to secure the market to some degree. Obviously, there are parts of the country that are getting crushed value-wise, um, but certainly here in our market, we're still pretty resilient. I think last week, we gave something 32% of homes still sold over asking. Yep. We're here in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Um, comment below where you're from and what's going on in your area. We'd love to hear about it, but we're getting these mixed numbers from across the states. Um, but yeah, in Southern California, 10% were converted to of listings were converted to rentals. In Texas, it was 9%. Across the country... How are they for- getting that stat? Um, well, they, I, I find in the States, their rental data is a lot, lot higher. Um, and they have like MLS type systems for rental properties because rental agencies are so more prevalent than they are here. Okay. Yeah. There's probably more rental agencies. Because I say like on the banking side, I feel like there'd be less control because of the amount of banks that there are and different institutions. But on the yeah. flip side, I guess if they have rental agencies handling it, like yeah. your Remaxes and stuff, they, they track all their stuff extremely well. Yeah. Um, so we'd be able to submit data. I imagine also like some of these platforms like Redfin, Zillow, et cetera, when you withdraw your property from that, you can say why you withdraw it. Yeah. And one of them is, you know, sold my property or, you know, changed my property and rental. Across the U.S., 4% of listings are being turned into rentals. So that is actually going to put downward pressure on the rental market, which I know is going to relieve some people because it is expensive to rent out there right now. It's it's weird, though, because it's like that same listing, which probably was need to be purchased by somebody, now needs to be rented so it will it will definitely help to put down with pressure it's just we're still flat out need more inventory just like simple i was thinking about this on a side note like the reason for the more inventory here locally like we, we attribute a lot of it to immigration but i was like i don't know is the states facing that same giant in- inflation flux or is it more a population boom like generational booms where like now like is it gen what generation is this the one i don't know whatever generation what comes is after z yeah uh, we the generation that I'll say I'm in, I think I'm on the bottom of, and then it goes up for me. Okay. They're all starting to either move out of their parents' home, move out of an apartment, um, have kids. Like I look at majority of my Facebook, Instagram feed, it's people getting engaged and people having their first kid and this and that. And I'm like, I feel like that's part of the boom in the States that's causing this demand for housing um, more so than just immigration. Because I feel like a lot yeah. of those people were still living at home or a lot of them were living in apartments and stuff like that. I think you'd have to look at your population cohorts because obviously there was the baby boomers and then you can see the kids of the baby boomers, but the kids of the baby boomers have already done their thing. So I don't know. I, I think your age, I'll say your age as opposed to mine, like people who are 26 to 32, I don't think they're necessarily more of them than in, in past years based on the age of their parents and reproduction rates. But there is a lot of population change through immigration. And more local here, Nova Scotia, first six months of the year, I know this is something you think about a lot and talk mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, we had 6,745 new permanent residents arrived in Nova Scotia from January to the end of June. Wow. To put in perspective, our previous high ever was in 2021, last year, and it was 9,020. So we are on pace to destroy the best year ever that for was new a, permanent residents. The full residents. year was 9,020, and we're already at 6,700 this year. For the first six months, not year to date. That doesn't count July yeah, so and August. We'll so. be like could be like 30% higher. Yeah, yeah. So wow. you've talked about that and what that means for housing. Yeah, I mean, it's obvious what that means for housing, right? Everyone knows that there's more people than they need. They need homes. Um, the two interesting things with it are how many of them are going to stay, because um, obviously we had yeah. the PR program, um, which I think changed at the start of this year. So I think that might have skewed that number. We'll have to see what the second half of the year brings. That's true. Um, yep. And then additionally, like the stat that I just saw, and I'm tr- I was trying to pull it up on my phone there, was unemployment is back on the rise. Oh, which, I know. In, in the States as well. Just yeah, starting to, to we've, pick up we've, the unemployment everyone, rate. Yep. Everyone I've talked to that's not necessarily as obsessively pro-immigration as I am is like, mm-hmm. well, even if that doesn't hold off or if that doesn't make it, at least we have crazy good employment numbers. Like there's just so many jobs. That's what's keeping things moving along. That's why we haven't felt the pain yet. And then for the first time now, I saw stats get released that it just tipped over and now it actually went down or employment went unemployment went up by like 0.4% as well or something like that. Yeah. And that's a really concerning fact. Uh, when you think about everything that's going on, it's is like, it a okay, concerning well, fact or is it kind of what we're hoping to have? Like if you raise rates this way, Chandler's pro no, 19% interest rates and I'm just saying, but no, but like the interest rates will only 
have an impact. Inflation will only slow if people, sadly, like there is a reverse correlation between, you know. Everybody just starts being frugal, then we won't have any issues. We can have lots of people. Everyone's frugal. I could probably take a lesson in frugality. I know. (laughs) If we could just bring Neil's vacation budget down a shade, we would fix the Canadian uh, And gas consumption. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, Um, man. Your your jet lines alone are just um, driving energy costs to the roof. Yeah. Anyways, honestly, I I understand. Like, it is what they're going for. That I I don't disagree with. It's more just like, I I don't know that... a lot of people said to me, I found for the last year, have been like, no, no, like, I think we're going to get through this. Like, economists have gotten smarter every year, year over year, every time this has happened. And so the, the boom and bust should be smaller. And I don't disagree, but it's just seeming like we're still going to have a fairly large bust. Because some people I've talked to, like, bust already happened, rates going down next year. Now I feel like the sentiment is rates are probably going to stick like this for two years. And yeah, we're expecting a bit more rate hikes. And yeah, unemployment's going to go down, or up, sorry, and we're going to have a bust. And I'm like, Okay, a few months ago, everyone was saying that economists just sorted this all out, and now we're starting to get into this. And I'm like, I'm uh, yeah. going back to my original, like, go back three months in these episodes, and I, well, I've always been freaking out. This whole time, I've been freaking out, and That's I'm just, true. I'm still on this, on this thing. And I think, like, if you look at the banks, like, I just took some refis. I got 60, 65, 65%. Re- refinancing at Ooh. 60, 65, whoa, whoa, and 65%. Say this again? So I had three buildings that I refinanced. Yeah, and you're so excited. And back was, in the day, well, what would you hold on? What would you have pulled out of those properties? Let's say a year ago. Give me just percentage wise and interest rates on your pullout a year oh, ago. Oh, for sure, seventy five percent. One of them I did two year, a year ago. I did eighty eight percent because I did a CMHC loan. But we'll say seventy five. We're not talking CMHC, and I probably would have signed at like three eight. Okay, and tell me what it is as of last week when you did uh, sixty percent at six percent, and then Ooh. I just did my two sixty fives at six point four percent. Wow. So we're talking 10%. And what what's the approximate appraised value on these? Uh, so each of them is appraised at a million and a half bucks. A million and a half bucks. So you're talking $150,000 per building. For the two other ones. And then the one that's 15%, I'm talking 225000 So I left 525 k on the table. And how much? My payments are higher. By how much do you think? Probably like with the whole payment. 20%? in. Yeah, probably about twenty-five to 30% more because the amount's quite a bit less. That's true. That's the true. amount's quite a bit less. So it's probably about so 25% you're getting less more. money yeah. by, by about five hundred grand, you said? Yeah, and my rents are way higher than the previous pullouts would have been. Yeah. So you're, you got less five hundred grand less in your pocket and you're paying twenty-five to thirty percent more on your mortgage every month. And really, if the rates were still down, I would have done I really would have done CMHC. So I actually pulled out a million dollars less. I'm getting a million dollars yeah. less back today. So if your rents were so high, what was the I mean, thing they were really pushing back on? So two things. Um, the, I, and I just had actually a meeting with them right before this at lunch. And first of all, it, it was rates, so the DSR ratio. Um, they just again, it just the payment went up so damn much. Yeah. Even though my rents went up twenty percent, the payment, as we all know, we've talked about a hundred times, the payment went up by like sixty percent, mm. right? Because interest rates don't go up by like oh, it went up by two percent. So the rate, what your payment went up by two percent? No, if it went up by two percent and you were at four, your payment probably went up by like forty percent. Man, that'd be a good thing, actually, if you can... Whip bring the all the numbers in. Yeah, yeah, man. The other cool thing that see. they cited was just general risk tolerance. They said their risk tolerance is down because they tried to get an exception made to bump the numbers up a little bit. Risk tolerance was down. And they want to see sta- stability for a year or two to get through this storm. They, they said because yeah. they expect yeah. more rate hikes. So this is how these rates work. The rates go up. Neil's best. Neil gets less money. Leave that out. He has to pay more. And now he can go on less fancy trips and buy less toys. That's nope, how the no rates, more no more vacations now. That's for two how years. the rates contract consumer demand, which hopefully will slow down inflation. And if you like that, if you like <sighs> how upset Neil is, give us a like. If you like that Neil's not getting a new Very car, much. give it a little like. Give it a little <coughs> give it a boop, boop, boop. So look now, at look at this. Neil's look at the body. Look at the body posture here. I love it. I love in it. two years, Neil's hoping oh, to be very happy, it's man. Be me too. But and where where this has become more concerning, and I'm just talking again to people in the bank, is they say they have a lot of people coming to them now that have large construction loans that they can't get them out of. I spoke to a broker yesterday who said he had six applications on his table, all construction loans that he is unable to get them out of. That's one broker. He already has six. Same same deal. He just finished a project. I'm midway through a project, and I'm going to get a little top up because I don't want to get rid of my initial mortgage, right? Normally, I'd refi the whole thing, blah blah. Like, no, no. I just want to top up, and then with the idea that at the end I'll pull some out. I don't know if I'm going to pull anything out at the end, and I don't know if I'll want to. 
because I will have this kind of little blended product between a rate that's probably mid threes, whatever my top up now, maybe it is at 6%, but it's only for something like 15% of the overall mm -hmm. debt. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'll have this decent little blended project and, you know, I'll probably just maybe even try to add a third top up to it and go like that as opposed to replacing the whole thing. That's the one thing with getting in with good conventional money to begin with is you don't have to take the whole thing out. You can kind of top up a little bit and the top ups are a little bit. I will never buy another property again in my life. Oh, remember? It's, it's like the meme. I will never financially recover from this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that guy. What's his name? See, this is the thing, man. This is, this is a great point. Tiger King. Tiger King. There so is. what's yeah, my yeah. point about the Tiger King? I don't know. Um, <laughs> let me, I'm going to bring it back to the Tiger King here. My biggest concern with this... Training lions. Um, yeah, is don't look them in the eye. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Um, I'm, getting, I'm, I'm, I'm just remembering that whole this. show and how good it is. <laughs> so my concern with this always was less about um, how the market forces shift and would they overturn the knob and would this happen and would that happen. My biggest concern was the consumer psyche, and how people are right now. And the reason I reference Tiger King is because my main concern is that people have a short memory. Yep. And people don't really seem to care about this stuff as much as you or I or our listeners here care about it. They just go about their business and mm. spend themselves into poverty and then complain about it until a government gets elected that promises that if they just tax people more, those people that overspent will be you know, have more money somehow, and then they will just continue to, to spend it anyway. Because there is something called the marginal propensity to consume, which means if you give me a dollar, I will spend 90 cents. If you give me $10, I will spend $9. Like, people just spend what they have, and it getting to the point where... I spend a buck fifty. Yeah, you, you got your <laughs> overspenders. But people... You know, these remember the first when it went up one percent and people are like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. This is unfathomable. The market froze. Well, all that's happened since then is that it's just continued to go up. And now people have forgotten right? that. It's and like people have forgotten that. And now, you know, it, it's the the Fed is gonna have their increase a week after this airs in the States, and it's gonna be the same seventy five basis points, which brings them in line with us. Mm -hmm. Right. Um but people are just not changing what they're doing nearly enough. And the reason is they kind of don't care. They kind of don't know. And they kind of can't help themselves. And we forget about everything that happened. So, like, who remembers the Tiger King? It was two years ago. And it was the biggest thing in the world at the time. And then everyone forgot about it. Chandler called me to buy a new car there a few weeks ago. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah, I nearly bought a good car. But whatever. Um, I was near the end of my lease. Listen, I, I have options. But... My concern is that they could ratchet this thing up and people will still be dumb and just go out there, continue to spend frivolously, and then they won't be able to slow down the damn economy. I think we're past that point. I think we've most people have already overspent without knowing it already. But, and it, here, here's the thing. The thing with That's, inflation is it's not even a choice of overspending anymore because it's like, well, I need gas to get to work. I need food to live. I need a place to live, so I have to rent a place or buy a place and have a mortgage. Horseshit, dude, man. Like, you, but you can't... Totally. But people are. I'm still all about frugality. I'm 100 for like being frugal, and I did that my whole like. You want number one way to get your first down payment? Be frugal as hell. That's what I did. Yeah. But like, it's it's uh, it's. I think like even it's gotten past the point of like now trying to like bring it back, bring it back. Like it's like people do a lot of stuff. And like okay, I'll catch up on the next pay. I'll catch up on the next pay. I don't know that they'll be able to do that anymore, especially when it's like shit. Like okay, these groceries cost me an extra 100 bucks stuff, a month. Man. Like, oh, so, totally. So agreed. 100. We have to 100%. have as sad as it sounds. Until people start being unemployed, inflation is not going to slow down. So, yeah, this is how things work. You tighten the economy, unemployment spikes, people have less money, then they spend less. They're not going to give out money this time either because it's just going to keep forcing the inflation. Dude, people are no going to be kidding. rallying for a basic income, but we did a basic income. It was called CERB, and now look where we're at. Uh, and also, I don't know if you saw here, in, um, provincially, I think they had a surplus of like $350 million. Everyone was like, give it to people! Give it to people! Fight inflation! Yeah. And they already had it earmarked towards you know paying off debt. Um, so that's where it went, and people were like losing their mind, like, oh, why can't you just give us the money? It's like, just give people $350 <laughs> million? Like, hmm. like we, are, we have this problem, and... You know, we have to tackle it from the supply side. We have to try to bring some of these prices down on the supply side. But people also need to, it sucks to say, but people need to feel the pinch. There's no other way to do it. And we're so brainwashed, man. No one goes out there and seems to change anything. Like, everyone still just buys, buys, buys. They do not change their habits. And that, I think, is going to be the hardest thing to overcome.
Yeah. Doesn't matter what interest rate are, people are still going to be buying like dumb people, shit. Uh, yeah, I don't know what the general like. I'd be curious to know if people like. Do you feel stress when your bank account gets low? Once I break 100%. between below a certain threshold, I'm in like full psycho mode. Like I cannot. I'm Ooh. so stressed about everything. Oh like, man. I, I can't spend on. So we anything don't, like we, even buying food and shit. Like I just don't want to do it. Going out, any of that kind of crap. Yeah, we don't like check in on each other's news as much anymore because we we'll, we just had so much going on to cover. But like when I bought that twelve unit building, yeah, I was like, man, and and I had to put down. I can't even remember. I think it was either thirty eight or thirty two percent. Yeah, I can't remember. I got either sixty two or sixty eight percent financing. It took like every dollar I had to my name because I'm floating these other two projects. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there was a week where I was like, we got to ease up on the skip the dishes this week. Like, you know, we got to <laughs> chill for a bit here because, like, you know, um, I'm tight, man. I'm tight. Yeah, no, I, but, I totally get that. Um, and I'm not wishing that upon people, but we are sometimes our own worst enemy because the human desire to consume now. And we talked a lot about this on the conspiracy episode about like how, you know, th- that was kind of thrust upon us. And... I mean, I just want to say this, just to pump my own tires. Nearly pump his tires on this thing. But I had, I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago, a couple episodes ago, that I was working on a couple deals. And for whatever reason, it's almost like fate. Some of them didn't work out. Some of them accepted offers. Actually, two of them accepted offers kind of without my knowledge, which I'm not super down about. Wait, you got accepted offers? No, no, no. I made an offer on one of them verbally, oh. and then they accepted an offer on the side and basically leveraged me to get the other offer. Um, another one, I told him I was working you on, my, your tires? on my... No, no, but then I also was going to say, I, on a couple other deals, I backed off. Because I was like, usually, previous me would have been like, done, my refinance is coming in, I know how much it's going to be, but ump I'm going to go ahead and slap it down on, on the next place. And I've been playing that baldy game for a while, and I didn't do it this time. And I'm just pumping my tires for myself, and I'm glad I didn't, because when I met with them today, and I found out I'm getting basically a million dollars less... I'm going to yeah. be a little more frugal. I mean, I'll have cash, but I'm not going to... Like, that extra money would have been the money that I was like, okay, screw it, I'll put on some alternative investments. Like, it was like yeah. a multi-unit Airbnb property downtown. It was a strip mall. There was a couple different cool properties like that. And now I'm just like, no, nah, you know what? Like, I'm going to stay in my lane, cool off, kind of assess where things are going. And if the people are showing up with these situations that they can't get out of, maybe it's an opportunity to buy in, yeah, right? Yeah. What do you think about this? We're talking about inflation and how people need more money. Uh, a study just found that the... Um, living wage in Halifax now would be twenty three dollars and fifty cents. Currently, our minimum wage is thirteen thirty five. It's going to thirteen sixty. Yeah, that that is kind of nuts. I, I don't know what the big holdup is with shotgunning it to fifteen bucks, sixteen bucks an hour. I know they're saying it's going to put. Well, I know. Okay, sorry. I do know what the holdup is because they're going to put more pressure on the on the business owners that have to employ these people that are already facing a lot of expenses and having trouble running their businesses. Not just that. Like we just yeah. talked about you know, inflation and how giving people more money. I know everyone wishes yes, everyone had more money, but more then it doesn't work. It doesn't work, man. But if you're giving them more money for a job, um, because I like, I struggle with the bottom end. It's it's really tough. Like, what is the solution? Um, the living wage, I'd be curious to see where they brought that from. Like, uh, It's probably based on average monthly expenses and that being, you know, 30% for housing and whatever, another 20% for living costs, blah, blah, blah. That's yeah. how they would break it down, based on a 40-hour work week, et cetera, et cetera. But it's tough. Like, What do you what do you see as the solution to that? Because as is a point, once that living wage gets to be so high, then you start seeing these things like the mass poverty mm-hmm. and the and the like major commutes people make. Like It starts going into what you see. Basically, what big cities have, where like a lot of people that work in these industries live like an hour and a half outside of town because that's the only place they can live to, and actually yeah, pay for and stuff. Yeah, and they basically get shipped in daily. And they basically get by, shipped by in daily, transit. and they yep. work... A shitload of hours. They usually have multiple jobs. Uh, well, man, we're getting into a major question. Like, what do you do about that? I think... It doesn't have to be a super long answer. Just a, like a, on, a, on a high level. I think uh, we need to stop taxing small businesses through the teeth. But unfortunately, they've convinced mm-hmm. these same people who are upset that they're not making enough money that taxing these mm-hmm. uh, you know, smaller businesses is going to actually help them when it hurts them dramatically. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing is um, there's been this push for an, from an efficiency standpoint to have as many people living in urban centers as possible. And it's true, like for education, for healthcare, for road and maintenance, all these things, that is the most efficient way. However, it is not necessarily good for um, for humans. Like it's not necessarily good to have us jammed and stacked in these cities. So while it's nice to see cities grow, we need our other towns to thrive. So they need to do whatever possible to develop other towns and 
grow those as opposed to everyone just hoarding towards the cities where things inherently drive up in cost. So basically, if you want to open a business in a secondary market, it should, for all intents and purposes, be free. They should find a way to get you there, whatever it takes to get you to open that business in a secondary like market. $1 homes in Italy. Um, yeah, so I would say I agree. One thing, like for me, is like public housing. Like I still, I think, oh my god, Don't, well, I bet you Jesus. of that twenty three fifty, I feel like I bet you thirty to forty percent of that is made up of just like living costs, like home cost. Um, and I think like a proper public housing setup that is for people who make under whatever it is living wage um, would be a really strong way if it was done properly to assist people in doing that. Because we've talked no about it a billion times, yeah. private industry cannot offer people homes under that cost because just the simple cost to build them and put everything together like, like not even including land because everyone's like well it's because the people buying the land are marking yeah. it up if you just take out the actual physical cost to build the properties it is so high yeah. that like there's no way to run those businesses and make money so they need to i think that's a good way to inject cash is by offering a public housing oh, system totally. versus just handing people dollars of three hundred dollars every God, week you're preaching the choir like we need ten thousand public housing units in halifax right now that's a rough estimate, I would say, and another 10,000 spread across the rest of the province. Totally. So it's 20,000 units that we need for public housing, and that should be the only priority. All this other bullshit, it's literally that. Just that, oh, so we're doing this. Like, I saw the federal government release this thing, like a couple billion bucks going towards like rent to own. They're going to do 15,000 rent to own units. Idea. It's like, that's, 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 it, it just it doesn't move the needle. As a province, you, you we have to do whatever it takes to get 20,000. Yeah, we need to get 20,000 uh, public housing units. As soon as possible. Uh, everything else should be second priority to that. That should be the only priority. It's the only thing from a housing perspective that's really gonna gonna make any impact whatsoever. Um, so we can dance around with all these other things, and this is the problem. We get distracted by what advocacy over there and, and what you know project over there, and you know one thing like start house building people. units. Start building uh, units. House people start building units. Um, this is a, a big digression, but I, I kind of want to talk about it because. I, I haven't quite wrapped my head around it yet, but in a weird way, it's it's kind of relevant. Um, did you see that the Bank of America is offering all these zero down uh, mortgages in mm -hmm. predominantly black and Hispanic communities? Yeah, yeah. So if you know if you purchase in these communities, and I think they have to be at least fifty percent black or Hispanic. Um, this is their language that that they're using. Um, you can get in with longer amortization, lower rates, mm -hmm. supposedly. Um, or no, not lower rates, but like lower credit requirements, yep. um, no down payment, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and it, on the one hand, is being promoted as like, isn't this a great opportunity uh, for people who are underrepresented when it comes to home ownership? Um, but there's some, there's a sinister element of it too, that kind of like immediately made me think, and and I kind of unpacked a little bit. But yeah. just what's what's your gut reaction? I don't know if you saw this or thought about it. I at saw all. it. And I forget what the what the thing was, but it was just like. What what was the, the issue with it again? It was like they're basically sticking people that are not like well. So so it sounds good off the hop, but in general, for me, like before I even get into like the the political like or the the controversial side of it, on a simple basis, like I'm just thinking in my head, like the the idea of home ownership needs to change as this idea that like that's the key to just getting away from having an issue, like. Home ownership is extremely expensive. It's not always a giant asset. And if they're putting into something yep. that's variable for people that aren't necessarily able to keep up with the variable changes, like they are just going to screw all these people over because they're all going to get tied onto a loan that makes sense now. And then it's eventually not going to make sense. Oh, 100%. So here are the things that are sinister about it. One, the reason that the Bank of America is doing this is because it was actually discovered that their lending. Oh, they was so disproportionately skewed away from these visible minorities yep. um, that they were close to, I don't want to say like violating any laws, but it was getting so egregiously offensive that they were worried about repercussions because they effectively weren't giving yeah. loans out to black and Hispanic people. So this was a quick way for them to do that in a hurry while looking good, uh, even though it kind of is just to cover up for... Did we, talk, did we talk about the one here where the appraiser came in and it was oh a black couple God. and they appraised the house at let's say 500k and then they're like hmm that's odd so they had another appraiser come but they had one of their white couple friends stand in for them and they took all um the photo family photos down all and family photos down anything that could be considered to um relate back to relate back to black culture there. yeah and the appraisal it, went up like an absurd amount yeah like it was crazy hundreds of thousands of dollars. hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. more simply off of that which was Unbelievable. Yeah, and you, and you see these how these these stories all the time. Um, and you know, Bank of of, of America was um, 
having that be exposed through their lending practices. So they came up with this program, which again, sounds amazing at first glance. The concern though is, as soon as this happens, like there's some fine language in there where it's like you have to invest in these communities. It's mortgages in mm-hmm. these communities. It doesn't necessarily state that you specifically have to be black or Hispanic. It says that you have to buy in these neighborhoods. Yeah. So there's some concern around manipulation of that uh, little loophole. The other thing is, it's like, really, Bank of America, you choose now to do this when uh, properties are dropping in value, yeah. interest rates are rising, yeah. and uh, there's more debtor risk than ever before, and now you start giving these people zero-down loans, yeah. it kind of seems like you're setting them up for failure. And we talked about this, too, in our conspiracy episode. You can check back to our last episode, where basically during these times of mass inflation that they can jack rates, you get this big wealth transfer because you saddle the vast majority of the population with debt and big cash-rich corporations or just bigger sharks can devour these people and you get these huge wealth transfers. So while this could be such a good thing, the cynic in me worries about the timing. Unemployment um, numbers in those areas can be higher too from these during these times. So it's like my my thing would be on the flip side, if somebody can get into a house now, they might get a cheaper buy. And if they can float the payment today and, ride it out, and yeah. they can run it for two years, their payment's going to drop dramatically. Their property value is going to go up and they might actually be in a really good spot. So if they can get it done today Listen, and it actually and makes sense and they can keep their job yeah. remains in yeah. place, it could actually be a really good thing versus if they bought when rates were 1% mm-hmm. under a false pretense that like, this is what it is. Your payment's only $300 a month and yeah. it's always like this. And house prices just keep going up and up and up and up. And make no mistake, like I'm a big believer in owning real estate and I think that's... Um, you know the the quickest way to get ahead and and to protect your family for generations to come. So I think anything that facilitates that for groups that maybe didn't have that opportunity in the past is a good thing. But the question is like, do you trust Bank of America to not be sinister? And like, I don't know, I don't know. So we'll see how that all kind of uh, boils. It's interesting down. to see if too if it's like a play on like this ESG score and trying to. Like everything now is like every big corporation is really starting to pay attention to their ESG and like what their oh. perception is because it's really starting 100%. to play an impact on what they can do in their business. And so we they're having to come ESG. up with stuff. You guys know how I feel about ESG, but be 100% this is ESG related. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all to be clever, like to like get the points, but then without diminishing their business. Do you know what I mean? Like they don't actually yeah. want to do anything for it. They're just doing it because they have to. Yeah. Um, but and, and again, like, well, is it actually. For, for the ultimate good. Thanks so much for listening to this point. It's a great time to like, follow, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. But in the second part, keep listening because we're going to talk about our biggest misses and our biggest successes and how we did them and what it allowed us to do and how it changed things for us. So keep listening. Thanks so much. So with that being said, yeah. and you're saying real estate's the place this, to buy. I wasn't quite sure what, what you meant. So Okay, well, me like I said, I'll, you want good. me to do my first... My first one. No, and you then ask you me a question, so I know what questions to ask you because I don't know. I can't remember what how we phrased it. Okay, well, we'll do the first. We're going to top three misses. So properties that you wish you had purchased, they came across the table, and you hummed and hawed, you sat on the fence, and you're like, "Yeah, I don't see the upside," or mm, "This doesn't really make sense." And you're like, mm-hmm. "Man, if I look back, I wish I would have squeezed every dime I had. I would have traded all my Rav fours in for one of these houses. Like, just what was oh the one? My gosh. There's got to be one property deep in your brain that like." Like I see them sometimes. I'll see some that like resell on market, and I'm like, for frig's sake! It's like especially like single family homes in the last couple of years. I'm like, man, I was gonna buy that and live in it. Instead, I blew a bunch of money on rent. Or like, there's been a couple development sites that I've heard trade off market that I'm like, oh yeah, I saw that one go by for. A yeah, of that. I mean, I'm I'm trying to think of these off the top here because it was a bit different than than what I I thought. Um, we'll start with a really small one. There was a duplex in my backyard like literally i'm on a corner so it's like in my backyard Mm -hmm. and this was about four or five years ago like not that long ago and it sold for two hundred and ninety two thousand free uh which is free 99 basically um and it was it was good like it's they're they're side by side like you know garages on each unit's like good and what's that yeah (laughs) you know the one yeah i know the one it's literally my backyard yeah yeah um, and so, like, I share fence with these people, and I should have purchased it. The timing was just bad, like you know. I, I but I also didn't get aggressive on it, and it recently relisted for something like six hundred grand. Or did it sell? No, it didn't sell. It didn't sell. It's probably so worth st- that though. It's still sitting there in, in my backyard, and now it makes no sense to buy it. But in hindsight, having it, and just this is one that purely for my family. Like one, 
I would put a couple families in there that have kids to play with my kids. And two, I have a long-term concern about the cost of real estate and where my kids are going to live. Say, your kids and, are going to live in the- you know, having a property right next to ours as they get older and they start their families. I actually think about that sort of thing. <laughs> Chandler's going to be the one calling his kids. Like, hmm, it's a little late to have lights on. Or what like, are you guys pull doing your over blinds there? down for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so like, I kind of feel like you know, that's a small little one, and I don't know that there's much to take from that, but that's one that I kind of wish I uh, I picked up. Okay. What's All your right. first? I'll, get, I'll do one that's very similar then, maybe. How's that? So I'll do, it's on a street. I've talked about the street a bazillion times. I own seven buildings on that street. Um, I had bought my first building, and then I was trying to buy neighboring ones, so I just looked up everyone's phone numbers, and I was calling all of them. And so I found some. I bought two two more buildings, and they were six units, and I paid for 360 for each of them which even that felt a little aggressive because they were in dilapidated shape. They needed everything. They were doors were screwed shut. Windows were screwed shut. They were boarded up. I called the neighbor. He said he wanted, this is a weird number, but 426,000. And I was like, ha, you want $426,000 for a six unit. I just paid three. What a weird number. 426 too. 71,000 a unit for whatever reason. Um, and I was like, ha, you're out to lunch. Like why? No, no chance. Um, Anyways, someone else bought it for 460 or 426 maybe six months later. And now I'm trying to buy it because I own the properties on both sides of it. And he wants 1.25. And it's not worth 1.25, but it is no, to him. No, it is not. So it is not. It is to him. And, so, and, he's yeah. not, and I've been bugging him for the two years since. And he's not willing to do anything, anything, anything less. And I'm like, fuck. Because it would have been nice to have... Then I'd have, I don't even know how many square feet in a row. Like it would have been probably a hundred thousand square foot lot with all of my lots combined and not really worth anything today. Like it's good as six units and they're good for what they are, but maybe in the future, you never know. Yeah, right? 25, 30 years them. from now when the economic life of those buildings is back getting down that you could look at it and be like, okay, yeah, you know, I've got enough space here with the center plan where I could go for a development agreement because yep. um, there's enough acreage and really do something major there. Um, you know what? You talking about that reminded me of my second one. Um, so... I own like one, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, like nine parcels. All Jesus, we got it. Besides <laughs> each other, with the exception of one oh, yeah. that's in between me. Oh, you find this funny. I like it. I, These I, are I, sometimes I, called stubborn nail houses. <laughs> um, and it is a poo hole. Like it is the disgusting. It, it literally really, is a pool. It, it is it is one of the worst properties uh, inside the circumferential in Dartmouth. <laughs> it recently caught on fire, um, and somehow still kicking. Somehow one leg missing, still kicking. Uh, it's still being rented out, but it, it's terrible. Um, I remember this person bought it for something like one hundred and sixty grand, one hundred and seventy grand, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And I do not, I do not need this parcel of land because I have the development agreements for all the pieces around it. But it would be convenient to have, right? I could make a building slightly larger, or better than that, I could just level it to the ground because it's disgusting. Um, and we had an agreement at two seventy, and then he said, "No, no, we need a bit more." So two eighty. Then he said, "No, no, need a bit more," and then he said three hundred. And then I think it was like 325 and it just kept going up and up and up. And then eventually he got to like a number at th- like 350, which I was like, this is ludicrous. <laughs> and, you know, who, kn- who's, who knows, even if I had said, yes, I'll do it, whether or not he would have done it because, yeah. you know, he seems he to not have all his marbles. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think last time I asked, he wanted 600 I mean, you, this like is that? this is like the properties you see downtown. You need to just build your buildings. Oh man, here's the thing: like his property has gone up, up, up in value, and then as soon as I build, it is going to drop off the face of the earth yeah. and never be worth even what it's worth in this moment for, yeah. for some period of time. Yeah. Um, because one, it, it's going to have to be torn down soon. It's it's in that bad repair. Um, the lot's so small that you can't build anything on there. You can't build anything on there. It has no parking. It has no anything like. So I'm his. Not only I'm not his ghetto to jail free card. I'm his once in a lifetime cash in card, and he doesn't want to play it. Uh, but my ego and my stubbornness in the moment to not overpay, I lost perspective, and no one could have seen the market do what it's you know has done since. However, I should have maybe had a bit more foresight and found a way to make that one happen. Yeah, that's similar to what happened with this one. Um, all right. That's a, I know the property. I remember when it caught on fire. We uh, we drove over to take a peek and see what was. Oh, going I on. was hoping it burned to the ground. 
I was Hopefully like, I came with my kerosene bottle and I just like a little spritzer. Taylor's going to jail. Um, all right, I'll give another one. So this is a house. It wasn't that long ago, probably about eight months ago. New year, but I'd say eight months ago. And the house came up and it had a one acre lot. It's about a half an hour from downtown. But the zoning is really advantageous. And so I had some clients that buy out there and I was like, hey guys, like this house is on here. It's got one acre land, good zoning. Probably get a multi-unit on here. But there's a house now, so you can just put down 20%, maybe even 10%, and rent it out. And it was only 225K. And anyways, they said, no, I'm not interested. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, maybe I should buy it. So I'll just buy it and I could put a multi-unit on it. And uh, I hesitated and I don't know what I was thinking. And then it had a multi-offer bid and they accepted an early offer. Um, it was pending for like two months. And then I finally firmed up at 255 grand. Sure enough, I know the guy who bought it. Talked to him. He got approved a permit for 100 units. Mm-hmm. I tried to rebuy it from him then for a million bucks. This. Yeah. I talked about it on here before, and it just pained me to think that I could have even just bought it for the 250. Um, anyways, I didn't buy it for a million. Somebody else did buy it for a million or a million one. I heard recently that it has reappraised for three million bucks. So he flipped it over, made whatever it was after permitting, probably six, seven hundred grand. Um, Cheapers. And then the next person now is up another two million dollars. Well, and they're coming back down on reality. On that. They're going to come back down. And, and when I ran the numbers up a bunch of times, it didn't make a ton of sense to build it as a hundred. Like I was going to go to an eighty, and even that, like it was going to be an expensive build. And mm-hmm. there was a bunch of other weird stipulations. But realistically, it was still worth a hell of a lot more than two fifty. Oh my god! And yeah. it would have been so nice to, be able to just buy it, put down twenty percent, fifty grand, and rent it out. And whenever money years it takes, eventually just have an eighty unit build site in a nice neighborhood ready to roll. So I think takeaways so far, my first one would be, um, you know, try to always stay looking forward on any opportunity, right? Like to not kind of just dismiss one offhand because you want to be like, all right, what what could this be five years from now? Where am I going to be five years from now? Is this going to be a property that adds something to my life five years from now or not? Um, the second one for mine was to not let ego and stubbornness kind of get in the way any takeaways for you from those first two i think get my ass off the fence like i i am a very cautious buyer <laughs> the the 426 i know i said like i thought he was insane and all that. i wouldn't say it was an eagle play for me for me it was just like i couldn't i was nervous already buying at the price that i was buying at and that was just because the neighborhood was so beat up when i got in there that it was hard to fathom doing it and i i hadn't finished the other ho- buildings i had bought so i didn't know what the model was going to look like. like i didn't have confidence on what i was going to get for rents on the end um, and so projecting the lower rents, it was hard yeah. for me to see the end. Um, and the appraisals at that time were not that exciting. I used an appraiser that like really was not aggressive. Uh, on those, not even, probably like 785 or something. Like right. it was real low. So by the time you take your refinal, I only had like 100 grand to renovate a building that needed like 400,000 bucks. Um, and so that was kind of soft. And then the the other, the house on the acreage was just like, kind of saw it, kind of thought about it, recommended it to a client. And it was just kind of like humming and hawning. And didn't get super serious about it. Like, you, I find anytime I don't get super serious about it, I get kicked in the butt and the, the deal goes. Like, you need to be all over it and and get it going. And that's what I should have done. I should have even just thrown it under offer. I should have just tried to throw it. Even if I'd thrown something and I'd feel a little better to know that I got beat. Like, right. I just did yeah. one recently where I got beat and I was like, whatever. Like, I, at, least at least I you played the game. I showed up. I showed up. Yeah. I didn't even show up to this because I was just kind of slacking. And I was like, ah, I'll call, I'll call the agent later. And then it took an offer early. I'm like, well, I should have. If it was for my client, I would have called them the first friggin' day and we would have been in there on the early offer day competing against the other early offer. Because for me, I was just like, eh, well, whatever. He who hesitates. Um, my last one is kind of similar in a lot of respects, and I talked about it on this property before. There was a building that was on my to-call list and it had been on my to-call <laughs> list Everyone's. for years. I still have that to-call list somewhere and I haven't really learned my lesson <laughs> because I haven't been calling the other ones either. <laughs> um, I mean, the 12 unit that I, I just closed was from that to-call list, but uh, this one was on there for the longest time and I never approached them. And then a friend of mine called me like all excited because he had just bought this building. Mm-hmm. And he was describing them like, <laughs> I know that damn building. <laughs> and so not only were these sellers, not only would have only taken one phone call, um, but they sold at a good price, and I tried to buy the deal from him for I think 115 or like 15,000 per door more than he paid. Can't remember how many units it was, but a few hundred thousand bucks. I tried to just buy the deal from him on reassignment, and he wouldn't wouldn't do it because he got that good of a deal. Um, there were two takeaways that I took for that. One, 
Um, you got to trust on, your friends. You got <laughs> yeah. He, he greased <laughs> me now. Um, one, you, you got to make the calls, right? Like you've got to be consistent. You got to continue to keep the pipeline going. Yeah. Uh, and you can't hesitate on that. The other thing is. Um, I sort of assumed they wouldn't be sellers because they had a family name that I knew kind of peripherally. I didn't know this mm-hmm. particular part of the family, but I knew the family name. And I believe they just weren't the type to be sellers yep. because oftentimes they weren't. But I was wrong. And they <laughs> sold it and they sold it at a good price. And, you know, that's one I know this guy. That property's never going to come back to market, like not for yeah. 35 years. So that's one that's just gone into the universe and, and will never be back. That, that's a good point. I like to always assume everyone's going to be a seller. You kind of have yeah. to. And sadly, sometimes they're the ones you think are most likely going to be, and it makes the most sense for them to be, they're not. But sometimes the ones that you least expect it are. And sometimes other developers and whatever aren't necessarily as crazy because sometimes people, it's like their one property, they want some crazy number. Yeah. Developers are more realistic. Like, this is the income, this is what it's worth, and this is what I have. And everyone's a seller store. eventually, right? So sometimes it's on a longer timeline. Right? True. So. Last one, I'm going to be kind of, I have to be even more vague in some sense, but it was brought to me from a friend of mine, um, and he had put a property under contract. It was a large commercial property with a big, big piece of land, probably with 10 acres. And Ooh, that's a lot. he's like, look, I'm, I'm buying all this, and I need a couple partners on it. And so he had a meeting with me and two or three other people in his office. That It was an evening meeting. We sat, he presented it kind of talked about what might be the potential and what the couple options were it didn't have anything like as of right didn't show any kind of value right off in the future he was paying market value the seller is a very well-known person who knows exactly what their stuff is worth and they were like this is what it's worth today that's what i'm willing to sell it for um and it was probably i think it was in the seven million dollar range and anyways he needed basically a couple of he was bringing a couple people in and he was hoping to get a couple hundred grand from each person to help yep. fin- finalize the down payment and we were each going to take a percentage out of it um he ended up closing it. I, I backed out for this is I, the main reason was I backed out. Was I googled his name, and there was some pending uh, issues with other financing contracts he had going on, and so it gave me kind of the heebie-jeebies because I was nervous that he yeah. was in a bad place and that I might get caught up in it. Um, come to find out, now it's been whatever it is, two three years since I probably more than that, three years, and that property got rezoned to allow for I think almost a thousand units, and so now he's up from whatever $7 million purchase to a probably around a $25 million value. Um, and it would probably sell pretty freaking quickly to some, some large investor, even if it's sold for double, like I, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, and it was rented the whole time and it was at a commercial deal. So it was a decent cap rate. So like a cash load the whole way through. Um, so to, to pass that one up now, I'm looking at it like, damn, that was, I was yeah, talking, I bumped into him the other day and he was like, yeah, you know that one, that, that one's now worth X. And I was like, Oh shit. But, you know what? I don't know if I'm as regretful for that. Like I'm regretful because I didn't do it, but I feel like I, the logic at the time for not doing it made sense. Was sound. Yeah, yeah, totally, man. And and that was also a couple of years ago. That would have been a major risk at the time. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah. Right. What about, let's talk about your wins. Yeah, yeah. Top three wins, the more exciting stuff. Number one, I've talked about it a bunch of times on here. It was a single family home in the south end of Halifax. I was sitting in class. I had owned, at that point, I owned a duplex. I had flipped a single family home and I had a little bit of cash from trading, selling cars. I just had a little bit of cash in my account. Uh, I was trading a ton of Bitcoin actually at the time. And I was on viewpoint here locally, just scrolling constantly, not paying attention in class. And one popped up just one block over from the university for 350 k I had been watching it. It was listed for 700 then it was listed for 600 500 then they dropped it to 350 And I literally was Good in the class days. and I saw the update and I was like freaking out, called the listing agent. And I was like, I need to get in this property today. Um, she got me in there that same day and I was like, I want this place. Like, I need this place. Let's do it. She hyped me up too. I got to give her mad credit. I need to call, I'll call her back or go see her. She, at that time, nobody paid over ask. And she was like, you got to go over asking on this. Five grand over ask. I was going to do 1,000 over ask. I was going to do 351. Look at you go. And she was like 355. And for me, I was like, I was, in your, I was like, holy Jesus, the $4,000. I will never financially recover from this. This is this is, this is insanity. Like, I cannot do this. Who's paying over for list for, for properties? Nobody. Like, I don't think any houses that year sold for over list. Um, I was like, all right, I'm taking your word. And she, I remember her saying when we were sitting in her office at like 9 p.m. She's a good agent. She was there with me all night to keep me into it. And she goes, uh, she's like, I promise you, you will not regret this. You will come back in a few years and thank me for doing this deal. And in my head, I was like, that's what every realtor says. Like, there's no way, blah, blah, blah. I was like, whatever. It's going to be an okay deal. It's not going to be that great. Well, I'm going to go back. It's been a few years. And I'm going to, I'm going to thank her because it was the greatest thing ever. I bought it for 355. I turned the single family into a triplex, rented it to students. Uh, it's now worth, I think a million one. I pulled out a bunch of cash and that was the first property that I was sitting in class and I got 
whatever it was, $176,000 back in my bank account and everything changed. I was just like, holy crap. Like this is, this is the game. Yeah, crack the code. The, I've cracked the code. I'm not working as an engineer. I'm making this happen. So that was the one that like started it all. Shout out. Can't shut her out. She's still a realtor. And I, she, I mean, she was good. She's no, she's no MKR, but she was good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyways, what's your, what's your top hit? Um, I mean, hmm, let me see, let me see. I'll do kind of a fun one. Um, so I mean, the really the one that got me started is is my first one because, um, you know, I was just I remember like I was there signing the paperwork and like my hand was shaking and this is after <laughs> I'd been a realtor for like six months. So other people was yeah yeah buy this house man it's no big deal yeah. and then I go to buy one. I remember I was working at an open house. Um, and, uh, but we had seen the property and really liked it. So I like jetted over to my in-laws, fired this offer together. And like my hand was nervous and same deal. It was on for like two thirty nine, And I'm like, all right, I want to make this offer good enough that they'll accept it right away. So I went two thirty four, right? Close enough that they're just going to like take it. And they did. But anyway, but I also then randomly, you'll appreciate this. <laughs> I got a really good deal on a luxury vehicle. Ooh. Oh, I had a yes, client who was quite eccentric, and she was a funny lady, and she had this Lexus RX 3000. Is that the call? A 300? It'd be like a 350 or 300. Okay. Yeah. Um, and her ex had bought it for her, so out of spite, she never drove it. She sat that sucker in her driveway in Bedford, and it never moved, to the point that it dented the asphalt. Um, and everyone that knows, like, that has fancy cars, know that's kind of the like worst thing you can do for a fancy yeah. car. But, like, it was, for the time, very tricked out. Sunroof, tinted windows, leather interior, five-disc changer in the trunk. <laughs> like, this thing was legit. Pull over um, and go to the trunk to change your CD. Yeah, you gotta pull over. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, put in that new EPMD. Um, so, she moved. Like, she was moving... Oh, oh, to the province. Yeah. And she wanted to get rid of this thing. And yeah. it was 10000 bucks. Problem is that it sat there and never run. So anytime someone came to drive it, something would go wrong. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, it wouldn't turn over. Okay, it needs a new battery. Now it's eight grand. Someone goes to drive it. Oh, this wouldn't work. The, the console would mm -hmm. act up. She puts another 1500 bucks into it, drops the price again, again, again. And now she's out of province and she's like, uh, hey, I've got it stored at this guy's house because uh, he's going to sell it for me. But he says now that he's got to get, he doesn't want it in his driveway anymore. Can I store it at your house? I'm like, no, you can't store it at <laughs> my house. I think at this point it was like 7,500 bucks. Yeah. Um, she's like, would you buy it? I'm like, no, no thanks. She's like, what about 5,000 bucks? I'm like, honestly, like I don't really want it. Uh, <laughs> I'm driving a beautiful Hyundai Sonata right now. I'm in a good place in my life. Um, and she goes, what about 3,500 bucks? I'm like, okay, sold. So I had this gold Lexus RX 300, you know, I had the sunroof open and I was just cruising and feeling pretty good about myself. Um, and like I was driving it for about two weeks yeah. and I started noticing like little things. One, I don't think she was a great driver because there's all these dents in it. So I checked out, I was going to go to like the dent guy and like I got a quote for 1500 bucks to take some of the dents out. Yeah. And then the AC went. That's which, a lot know, of dents, by the way, because I've gotten some dents pulled for like 300 bucks. Yeah, there's 1500 bucks worth of dents. Um, and so then I, I, the air conditioning went, right? Like, oh, and everything on these cars costs so damn much money. But I'm like, okay, I'm going to put some money into the dents. I'm going to put some money into the AC. So, you know, then I'll have this car. And man, we're sitting in that first place that I ever bought, just watching TV. And I just remember hearing this massive crunch, like just a big noise, but it sounded like it came from behind the house. Like, oh, that's weird. Someone got in an accident down down below. Then I hear a knock at the door. And this guy's at the door. He's like, uh, is that your gold Lexus? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. He's like, I just hit it. Sorry. So this guy hit it with a F-150. <sighs> smashed this thing. But I will say, these Lexuses, they're built tough. <laughs> like, he had to get towed. His F-150 needed to get towed away. I drove the Lexus to the dealership and be like, hey, man, like this guy smashed it in front of my house. Um, long story <laughs> short, it could not be salvaged because every part of those is 1500 bucks. They're like back tinted window, 1500 bucks. <laughs> yeah. um, panel, 15, like yeah. everything was 1500 bucks. And then I got a check as a result for 20,000 bucks because that what? was the Red Book value because it had no mileage and it had been tricked out. Telling right? you flipping cars. So I had, unbeknownst to me, bought a, one for 3500 bucks and it, you know, the book value on it was 20 grand because she had never driven the thing. No um, way. And so I had $20,000 and I bought my second property with it. And I was out, I was out there in Sackville. That's you sick. know, Sackville's the used car capital of the world. I was there looking at $20,000 BMWs 
and which is what you know Neil would do. <laughs> this is my Neil phase. Um, but instead, I bought my second duplex with basically no money out of pocket because at the time that could be my down payment. So that's, that's a long-winded story. But either the car was the best thing I bought or the duplex. I don't know. But that's my story. That was sick. Okay, I like that one. I like that one. I don't have one as cool as that. I feel like flipping cars though has given me my down payment. Okay, I'm gonna. My second one's a little different, and it's a two unit that I bought. It was actually the very first transaction I did as a realtor. And at the prior to that, I had just finished university. I was living in a basement apartment. I hated it. Um, anyways, I was so keen as a realtor, like, oh, I get a transaction. I got to get a transaction. And I hadn't put a client transaction through yet. And I found this duplex that came up that I kind of wanted, 240K. And uh, I was going to buy with a partner. And so we went and looked at it. And he's like, this is a shithole. Like, there's no point. It sat on an acre of land, though, uh, in Bedford. And I was like, oh, no, I think it's pretty good. And like I kept pushing and pushing. And he said, okay, yeah, sure. But then he kind of just ghosted me. So we put the deposit down. We firmed up on the deal at 240K. Ghosted me. Um, ghosted you after you were? Firm. Oh, my God. That's a. Yeah. Okay. Um, anyways, it was kind of wishy-washy. But closing day is coming up. We had nothing in the pipe sorted out. So then I just stepped up. I was like, screw it. I got to get the financing. Sort out the financing. Come up with a down payment. Um, and buy this place. And I didn't know what I was going to do with it. And within like a month or two, like, one of the tenants or two of the tenants both just left. They upped and left. No, one of them just upped and left. Didn't tell me anything. Just upped and left. And so I drove out there, and the unit was gross. And I was just like, mm, like all the carpets smell like piss, and the floors, or the walls are really dark green, and the cabinets were gross. And I was like, ah, oh, what am I gonna do with this? Anyways, my lease was coming up, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna move into this thing. And so that's what I did. I, I moved out there. I took all the carpets up, put down laminate flooring, painted it, put new trim in, redid the bathroom, and like did it all very slowly, very frugally, super cheap. I got all these deals and was doing it in the evenings. I was working like a dog as a realtor. And then like at 8 p.m., my girlfriend would say our, our date night every night was Kent. We'd go from at 8 p.m., I'd get home. She had a little uh, hatchback and we'd go over to Kent. And we'd buy supplies. And we'd be fixing it up. Man, when I was fixing up my first place, I'd like dap everyone at Kent when I came in. Like I knew yeah, every it, single person at the Micmac Kent. This was exactly yeah. it. I was at Dartmouth Crossing and, um, anyways, got it all cleaned up. And it actually wasn't a bad spot. Like it had a nice big yard. We had a fire pit out back. I really ended up enjoying it because there was there's Bedford's its own little city in a way. Like it has all the things that you need. Uh, and so I ended up loving living out there. Um, and it was also a super cheap way to live, which allowed me to get ahead because I yeah. had somebody renting another unit. I only paid 240 grand for it. The interest rate was like 2%. So with all my payments and everything in, I worked out that I was spending a couple hundred bucks a month to live, if that. Uh, and it allowed me at that time where I was so, so, so tight because I had started a new business that was not was failing dramatic, like really hard. Um, I wasn't making very much money as a realtor and I was trying to get this game going. It allowed me to just save, 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 save yeah. and actually get ahead. And we would buy Kijiji furniture. We slowly kept upgrading it and making our way through it. Um, and so like now I'm looking at building a 30-unit property, a 30-unit building on that property. Which oh, is, you still have that? Yeah, and I ended up keeping what? the place. I was so close to selling it. Uh, but I kept it, and then I went and met, and they're like, yeah, they probably put, like, a, they, they were super keen, actually, for me to do something with it, so I'm going to go through the permitting process no, soon. No, I didn't know that. And I'm hoping to get around 30 units, but, um, yeah, like, it was, it ended up being, like, I'm super glad that I bought it, I'm super glad that I moved out there, but the whole time, it seemed like a bad buy. Um, well, at some point, you got to take the risk, right? Like, yeah. you got to jump, and I think that's one of the good takeaways is, is you know, calculate it, right? But you got you to gotta pull the trigger, you got to jump, and it's interesting how what do we have in common to those? There are first buys. Yeah. Getting yourself going. I mean, they all look good in hindsight, right? Like that's, that's the beauty of time and, and appreciation, all that. They all look good in hindsight, but the earlier you can get this snowball rolling, the better. Yeah. Right. So that's why I tell people all the time, like, you know, what, what should I look for in the first one? Like, the first one should be like the one that you get quickest, like get it rolling. It saved my bacon once too, because I was pretty much dead broke and I only owed on it like 150, 180 grand or something. No, I had to put 20% down. So I only owed like 180K and I've been paying it down. So maybe even less. And I was like, oh shit, like I have no money right now. And I was like, well, what's this worth? And the rents had gone up dramatically. When I bought it, it was rented for like 800 and 500. When I re-rented it, I put it up. Fuck, I think I put it up for 750 or 800 and I had a lineup, a literal lineup down the street. It was insanity. There was cars everywhere. There was a lineup going down the staircase. Uh, yeah. I under-rented it obviously, but a great tenant. Uh, she's still in there today, um, but I reappraised it for three seventy five, four hundred k, and this so I had one hundred and fifty thousand yeah. dollars that I had, didn't ever even think about, and I needed it because I had no money, and I was able to get the money out, and it still cash flowed because the rate was wasn't bad, and I had increased the rents by like literally double, and when I bought it, it cash flowed a bunch, and so like I was like, this yeah. is it, that property ended up being like my my saving grace in a lot of ways. This is why I tell this to people all the time. Like the power of real estate is, like, what if 
an emergency happened in your life, right? A real terrible situation, and you needed to come up with forty thousand dollars in thirty days. Yeah. Like, could you do it? And a lot of people, understandably, are like, "No, I can't do it." If you have real estate, you can. And here's another one: like, what if the opportunity of a lifetime came up that could change your life forever, but mm. you needed sixty thousand dollars in thirty days? Could you do it? And oftentimes, again, the answer is no. But those that have real estate, if you get in a jam or if you have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, having real estate allows you to, you know, survive those situations or or take advantage of those opportunities. Just park all your cars out of your driveway in the street on a really crooked angle. So that oh, yeah. And around a blind Just corner. wait for that windfall, baby. <laughs> that sweet, sweet insurance <laughs> settlement money. Um, do you want to hit your last yeah, one? Is this my last one? It's the last one. I can't remember what my first one was. Uh, I think I just did a long-winded answer on my first yeah, one. Maybe. Um, I mean, the the big thing that changed my trajectory was when I took all the small Maltese because I bought that first one, and then I used the money from the broken Lexus to buy the second one, and then I scrounged some money together to buy a fixer-upper single-family house, and then I bought another duplex uh, and actually I bought another single family home in Halifax, basically just a flip cause it was such a good deal. And then I bought a duplex, uh, over in Dartmouth and the duplex was the first one that I had to put 20% down on. And it was pretty cheap. It was like 230,000 bucks it was a dump. Um, but by the time I like did all my closing costs, I'm like, man, I had to put, I think it was like $80,000 down on this thing. Mm-hmm. Right. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, this doesn't seem smart to me. Like putting all this money down, 20% down on these. And it's like, you know, I probably sat down with Igor, who I kind of consult for all my financing stuff. He's like, yeah, I mean, at that sort of thing, like why wouldn't you just put 20 or 25% down on like an actual multi-unit building? Mm-hmm. And I've mentioned this building before. We, we brought it up in one of the early, early episodes where we talked about our first properties and stuff. Um, it was a 12-unit building. It was right in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I'd stared at it for the longest time. I'd walked into the lobby and been a creeper on it before. And man, just coincidentally, it came up and it Creeping was... Creeping the property, not the tenants. Yeah, 640000 for 12 units, all two bedrooms, great location. Jeez. And what I did is I refinanced every single property, like all five of my properties that I'd, you know, just busted my butt to get these things. I took every dollar out of all of them. I had to get my mom to like guarantee a loan as well, just to get the down payment on that place. But needless to say, at $640,000, I've done very well on that property and multiple refinances since. Uh, it's probably, I don't know, my rents are, are low there, but it's probably worth, I don't know, 160, 170 a door at least. And that's only that low because the rents aren't that I high. I say the rents are probably over yeah. two and a half million bucks. Yeah. So, um, that's the one, and it was a gigantic risk. I remember you want to talk sleepless nights, and on that project, I really struggled, and a couple contractors and you know who've become really good friends since kind of bailed me out on it. Um, but again, it's about taking that leap, man. Like once you've kind of plateaued and realized, okay, I've done this, I've I've mastered this now. With the first purchase, it was like, all right, I've helped other people do this. I know I can do this. I know how this works, and I did it. Uh, and that this was like, all right, I know how the small scale multis work. I've got that. All I need to do now is just multiply that across 12 units instead of two. Um, and I pulled the trigger on it, and, and it's changed my life since. Totally. I'm going to echo almost the exact same. Exact same. Going from buying houses to getting to my first multi-unit. Um, it was an 11-unit building, and I saw a news article that it had caught on fire. Oh, yeah. And I've talked yeah. about it many times on here before. but Smoking hot deal. Smoking hot deal. Literally smoking hot. And I went to the owner's house and chatted with her and she was super nice. She brought me in. We chatted for a bit. Then we met again at the property. We walked through it and like it was the whole bottom floor was completely gutted. There was nothing left. Insurance had already gone through and ripped it all to bits. Um, and basically, yeah, I, I, we talked about it and she was like, look, once you see all the damage, you might not be so interested. And I walked through and I was still interested. And so she texted me maybe after three, four days and says, hey, like, do you want to make an offer? And I said, yeah. And I texted her a number. And I, it was a bit low, but I was just very nervous. I'd never bought into that before. I was a little stressed out. Um, I didn't know what the numbers were going to be on the back end because I hadn't received any appraisals on true multi-unit buildings at that point in time. And she didn't respond for three, four days. And I'm, I'm freaking out, freaking out, freaking out. And finally, she texts me back and she says, yeah, I'll do it. Let's do this. And so I sign it up. We get into it. And then after a few weeks, I explained to her that I'm having some trouble with financing. 
And it's because I'm new. I have no background in this at all. And uh, a lot of banks don't want to get involved. <laughs> and the building has been caught on fire multiple times in the past. Um, and so there's a lot of banks that don't want to be involved that have already been burnt on it, pun intended. Hey. And uh, so she ends up stepping up to give me a vendor take back for almost the entire amount. She did 85% for me and Ooh. I did the 15%. Eighty-five um, percent vendor take back, and so heard, right? on that closing, I got cash for my first construction draw from a private, and that private too. Same thing. I talked with them, and we're actually going to be presenting with them tomorrow. They said yeah. they were taking a flyer on me on that first building because same deal. I had no background, I had no stabilized income, I really had nothing. I had a couple properties to my name, which gave them a bit of security, and they they blanketed all that. But that was the only thing, and no regular bank would touch me. And so, anyways, I got into it. I ended up going. The numbers worked out better than I thought. The rental cost way more than I thought. Um, but the end value came out much higher than I thought as well. And it just worked. The timing worked out really well. I was able to get some cash out of it. And I ended up doing a CMHC. And because the numbers are so good, CMHC ended up giving me, I think it worked out to almost being 88% uh, loan to value. And yeah. now that property's continued to appreciate a bunch and it cash flows really, really well. It's locked in at a great rate. Um, and so that really set the tone and kind of allowed me to go. And the, the cash that I pulled out of that, I used to buy the other six buildings on that street. Exactly. Like it set yeah. the tone and changed rolling. my life yeah. and got me rolling. Yeah, 100%. But, yeah, that's super interesting. Would love to hear any, uh, you know, what any details about your first buy, anything like that. Just throw it down in the comments. I think we probably tell us the one that you missed. The like, which Ooh. one you you said? Why do you make people? You know, you got to think about that. Which what's the one that every day you're like, I screwed up. The that one was the that one. got away. The one that got away. The one that got away. Fire that. I wish I bought Bitcoin too. when it was two dollars. Yeah, I remember first time you heard about Bitcoin. I was like, what? Anyway. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, thanks so much for listening. Again, as always, please like, follow, subscribe. Uh, we'll maybe get into some of what's going on in our own lives here coming up, too. Yeah, because, it's the next episode. We'll get some um, more updates. Hopefully, by the next episode, I'll have closed another like a 16-unit building and then that run of duplexes and stuff oh, like nice. that. Oh, nice. Yep. Hopefully, going to be closed out in a week. Uh, don't forget to check out the Patreon. Uh, and please comment any questions you have. Thanks to all those of you who have reached out. Yeah. Peace. Thank you for tuning in for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us a rating and send us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Master Keys Podcast. See you next week. When, 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 when I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh.